You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 367 of this podcast. Today is Monday. April 11th, 2022, and it's been a few days. Last episode I recorded was the 7th, which, if you're good at math, that is four days ago. I took the weekend off, in part, large part, because my brother-in-law, Chris Duff, flew down from North Dakota and visited us. And us wanting to be good hosts, show him a good time, we ended up running around doing some things. Also, my office happened to be his guest room while he was here. But now he is on his way back to North Dakota. Lauren is taking him to the airport right now. And we hope he comes back again soon to visit, but I am also happy, personally, honestly, that I have my office back because my morning routine has been uh, suspended for four days, which can be a good thing, actually. It can be a good thing to not have your routine stick every now and then, or at least to have it suspended, to take a small break from your routine Something about that can work like rearranging furniture, I think. You sometimes put things where they go and they just sit there and you don't ask the question of either the way you're spending your time or the way you have your home laid out, your schedule or your furniture. Both can work the same way. You don't ask the question of, is this working as well as it could? Is this the wisest decision. It just kind of settles in. And of course, I think my morning routine, getting up, grabbing a cup of coffee, checking the news, recording a podcast, of course, I think that is worthwhile. But the way in which I do those things, or maybe my perspective on those things, getting refreshed is a good thing. But I'm happy to be back at it, to be back to podcasting for some of you who might have been behind some episodes, you now have had an opportunity to catch up. But if you didn't take that opportunity, of course, it's always there. You'll just have a lot of listening, (laughs) a lot of uh, cramming to do. But of course, not everybody has to listen to every episode. See, that's one of the things that I like about having a podcast about everything is it's sort of a buffet, right? It's a buffet, all you can eat, take what you like. If something doesn't quite suit you, uh, just leave it and somebody else will pick it up, perhaps maybe. Hopefully everybody gets something beneficial out of it. A thought, a sentiment, some encouragement, a challenge, some information, perhaps a refresh on their perspective on various things. But Whatever you're here for, however 
much of the content you listen to, I just want to say I appreciate you, the listener, being a part of this program. A number of you reach out on a semi-regular basis and let me know that you're listening and tell me which episodes you appreciate. And that's always helpful information when it comes to planning future content and producing content that's going to be uh, the highest value when I know which segments of my audience like which segments of the program. But this episode is going to be a little bit of a hodgepodge. And it seems, oddly enough, like that especially uh, plays well. People enjoy the hodgepodge, enjoy the assorted uh, sundry miscellaneous topics, uh, seeing if they do connect to each other in some way, kind of like the YouTube channel, Will It Blend? This is not a uh, infomercial series for Blendtech blenders, just to be clear, but maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe every now and then we throw things together in this podcast and we see, can we draw some kind of a meaningful connection between these things, either a comparison or a contrast? And uh, it, in any event, I think it makes for an eclectic and entertaining uh, show and food for thought. So first of all, in today's episode of Will It Blend, <laughs> the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, my two oldest sons, Lauren's and my two oldest sons, Josiah and Eli, attended a homeschooling dance on Friday night. Windsor Community Church put it on. We actually visited Windsor Community Church when we first moved here to Colorado over two years ago, two and a half years ago. It was the second church that we attended briefly, like one Sunday. Not that that, not that we wouldn't have attended more, uh, but Summit View was the first church we visited, and Summit View as we discussed it, as we prayed about it, some of you seemed to us to be the better fit. It seemed to be where the Lord wanted us to be. And we still hold to that. We believe that God brought us here to Colorado at the proper time, in the proper circumstances, and for a reason. And that notwithstanding, Windsor Community Church hosted this homeschooling dance and Eli got an invitation directly. Josiah was there as, oh, a wingman, we'll say. And I kid you not, my wife and I definitely both laughed until we cried when Josiah and Eli came back from the dance. Just, it, I, I don't want to embarrass them, so I might not uh, share all of what I could share. Uh, I don't know that they would be embarrassed, actually, though, and that's part of what we were so entertained by. But rest assured, if you want to ask them, uh, I think what you'll get is comedic gold. Uh, ask them about their experience at the homeschooling dance this past Friday. I dropped them off. Uh, Lauren had actually just picked up Chris from the airport that afternoon, and... The boys had a dance to go to, and I figured, well, it's my brother-in-law, but not my brother. Lauren should stay home. She's already been out and about 
and I'll take the oldest two. And then while I'm out, I'll pick up some Nordy's barbecue on the way home for Lauren and Chris and myself, order pizza for the other kiddos. But I dropped them off and it was a semi-formal slash formal uh, dress code type event. And I didn't go in with them, but just in the parking lot when I dropped them off, you definitely had some young men and young ladies in nice dresses, fancy dresses, full suits, uh, dressed to the nines. You had a couple who were just wearing, you know, a nice button down shirt and slacks and all of the above, all of the above looked so unsure of themselves. And that was very amusing. Uh, it definitely, definitely was very amusing. Now, myself, many of you know this, but myself being homeschooled, I myself having been homeschooled growing up from the second half of kindergarten, the second half of first grade until my senior year of high school, I never went to a dance. In fact, my dad, having been raised Mennonite, uh, dancing was not, <laughs> it was not looked on uh, favorably. Uh, never danced in public, in front of people, uh, except for twice. One of those times was the music man in high school. I tried out for the lead role, ended up being given a part in the barbershop quartet, and there were some uh, dance scenes uh, that I participated in, and I did just fine. It was all choreographed, which helped, and I wasn't dancing by myself. It was, you know, four of us in a quartet, plus the pick a little, talk a lot ladies. And that worked out just fine. It, it, that wasn't so bad, particularly being told, okay, here's what you need to do now. And then you do this. And then on this, you do that. Uh, that was fine. The second time I ever danced in public, uh, some of you are probably guessing was my wedding reception. Uh, but that's not, that's not so, uh, Lauren and I didn't even dance at our wedding. Actually, we had a very, very simple ceremony and we were both very okay with not having a dance just because we're just not, we're not dancing people. Uh, it's just not something that we do, I guess. The first time other than the choreographed music man sequence that I ever danced in public was actually here recently when I took our daughter Evelyn to the father-daughter dance. And it probably sounds just silly and absurd, but I was so uncomfortable and so nervous. And Evelyn, for her part, uh, dear sweet Evelyn, she was very understanding. And I told her, I said, you know, this is actually the first dance I've ever been to. Truth be told, it's the first dance you've ever been to. It's the first dance I've ever been to. And I'm only going because I love you dearly and you want to go. Uh, and that's enough for me. Uh, but we danced to uh, Cinderella by Stephen Curtis Chapman. And that was it. It was like, and I'm sorry, I feel so bad. I'll have to take my daughter to next year's and be readier and more confident. But uh, I danced one and it was kind of a check the box sort of a thing. Like, okay, well, I did it. And now I'm going to go back to the table. <laughs> 
and find somebody to talk to because that's much more comfortable to me. Uh, some people get nervous having conversation, making conversation. Uh, other people get nervous uh, dancing in front of people. And I am the latter kind. Uh, but my sons, uh, they actually, I, I'm pleased as anyone, uh, they it doesn't sound like we're terribly shy, uh, especially Eli, who I am told had several lemonades and may have been experiencing a little bit of a sugar rush as a result. Uh, both Josiah and Eli apparently requested two songs be played. One, Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. They like that one. They like the Weezer cover but they like the Michael Jackson original better. Uh, and the second being Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. Uh, so they definitely requested both of those songs at the homeschooling dance, which is all the funnier because actually, if you read my book, and this is why we homeschool, available on paperback and uh, ebook, the last chapter actually features prominently Michael Jackson, uh, if you can believe it. If you haven't read my book, if you haven't bought my book, uh, you can get it on Kindle, you can get it on paperback, you can get it actually most places that uh, ebooks are available online. Uh, but I, my last chapter uh, talks a lot about Michael Jackson, interestingly enough, because it, there was a situation, there was a, there was a conversation uh, that was had early in Lauren's and my marriage when we were visiting uh, Lauren's Uncle Gary's very conservative Presbyterian church in Omaha, Nebraska, which is very libertarian, very conservative. Uh, those two things are not always together, but in this case, uh, they do go together, which I can explain some other time. But for the purposes of this conversation, let's just say there were a number of young men who had been homeschooled all the way up, who were very conservative, homeschooled, uh, young men. And during the course of conversation, somehow or another, Michael Jackson came up. I didn't bring up Michael Jackson, but Michael Jackson came up. And one of these young men, very self-assured, uh, glorying in his shame, as I saw it, uh, quipped that he had never heard a Michael Jackson song because he was homeschooled. And myself being myself, uh, also having been homeschooled, uh, I laughed out loud in front of all these young men. And I said, well, I was homeschooled too, but I've definitely heard Michael Jackson. Like, that's no excuse. Having been homeschooled is no excuse for never ha having heard Michael Jackson. That's just, what do you do? Uh, but that's all I'll say about that last chapter. You should just check it out, buy the book, read it. Uh, spoiler alert, I do want my kids to be wholesome. I want them to be pure. Uh, I want them to be innocent. I want them to have good morals, upright character, a good reputation. Uh, but I don't think that it follows that they should be totally unfamiliar with pop culture, uh, particularly, you know, when we're talking about somebody of the influence and fame of Michael Jackson. I think it's important to have cultural literacy 
No, we don't need to be listening to Michael Jackson all the time. That doesn't need to be the mainstay of our diet, but it should be part of a balanced breakfast when it comes to understanding our cultural context. If we were missionaries to a foreign country, let's say South Korea, uh, it might be helpful to at least have some awareness of what K-pop is, uh, or Gangnam Style, for instance, or uh, Buldak Ramen, actually, is, by the way, Samyang Buldak uh, Carbonara Ramen is it's fantastic. So good. So good with some soft-boiled eggs and some veggies and either some beef or some chicken. So, so good. But my boys, they requested Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up and Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. And wouldn't you know it, both songs got played by the end of the night, before the end of the night, and at least Eli danced like no one was watching, <laughs> except... <laughs> I have a feeling everyone was. Uh, it could be wrong, but <laughs> that's what several glasses of lemonade uh, will do to a homeschooled kid. Uh, he did a little bit of a demonstration of his Rick Astley Never Gonna Give You Up performance. And my wife, who did go to public school and did attend a number of dances uh, like junior high dances and high school dances over the years. Uh, she laughed until she cried. Uh, she was just absolutely over the moon rolling at the antics. Uh, Josiah, for his part, had some girl come up to him and ask him if he wanted her number. Uh, classic... Josiah, my oldest son, very nonchalant, very smart, very smooth, uh, told her he didn't have a phone. So <laughs> do you want my number? I don't have a phone. Well, do you want it anyway? <laughs> she says to him and he's like, sure. <laughs> so she, some girl named Joanna, uh, definitely gave Josiah her number. And of course, uh, we are all resisting the temptation just barely to give her a call as a family and just be like, hey, Joanna, like, just wanted to say hi. You gave Josiah your number at the dance on Friday. We just wanted to say hello, get to know you, see what happens. Uh, very bold, my wife says. Uh, so that's 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 funny. Apparently it took all of 15 seconds from when Eli hit the dance floor and I think more to the point, uh, walked away from Josiah. Josiah was just standing there by himself uh, all of 15 seconds for this girl to come over and give Josiah a napkin with her number on it. So that's fun. And it, all the more fun to hear him tell it because you can tell he's pleased with himself, but also trying to play it down, trying to be cool. Uh, so, so that's fun, right? That's cool. And, and this is one of those moments where as a father, I, I, you know, I, I want to recognize that 
my sons in particular may not all have my personality uh, in, in all ways. And in some ways that can be good. That can be a positive thing. I hope that they are more comfortable uh, dancing than I was raised to be. I hope that they would feel comfortable going to a dance, at least comfortable enough. And if a girl comes over to talk with them, uh, they would, you know, of course, be a gentleman about it, but not be dying of embarrassment and unable to carry on a conversation. It sounds like Josiah was able to carry on conversation. Josiah and Eli both uh, maybe made friends with the DJ a little bit, was talking with him. They were talking with him, rather. And I'm glad about that. Right. You know, there's something as a parent, when you see your kids following in your footsteps, uh, that can be a mixed bag where you say, okay, well, you know, yes, I'm proud of you if you follow in my footsteps in these ways, but I hope that you don't make uh, maybe some of the mistakes that I did. And, I, you know, I'll watch for if you start to and, and try and step in and uh, give you counsel and be honest with you. And that's been my attitude is I want to be able to tell my sons, you know, hey, I, uh, I, I'm not very good at this thing. So take my input with a grain of salt. Well, dancing or going to a dance, it, it would definitely be uh, one of those things that I'm just personally not very good at. But if I see them uh, having an opportunity, in Eli's case in particular, he got invited by a friend to attend and we said, Josiah, okay, you're going with him. You're going to be his wingman and, you know, be there in part to encourage him and back him up and also be there as a, a kind of accountability. Uh, you guys kind of chaperone one another in this case. But this would be an example for me and I think for Lauren as well where, you know, our sons come back and it sounds like they had a good time. It sounds like they behaved themselves and everybody behaved themselves uh, but also maybe we're a little bit more confident, a little bit more, uh, outgoing and a little bit more self-assured than, uh, either Lauren or I would have at their age in a similar circumstance. Uh, I, I personally don't remember being self-assured enough to do the moonwalk after having requested Billie Jean. And I don't recall being confident enough to uh, do the Rickroll from Never Gonna Give You Up after having requested that song. But I'm glad that my sons uh, seem to be. And I hope that keeps up. I hope there's a confidence that they have moving forward that uh, helps them to be successful and helps them to enjoy life and helps those around them to feel at ease and enjoy life in good ways. But in other news, other than Josiah and Eli going to this dance, which again was just comedic gold, endlessly entertaining for Lauren and I to hear about, we on Saturday went as a family with Chris up to Rocky Mountain National Park for the first time. Our family has never been into Rocky Mountain National Park. We've been here in Colorado for two and a half years, and this was our first foray. We had a pass that I think expires. It's a one-year pass. I think it expires next month, the end of next month. 
So I think we'll be renewing it. It's gotten us in to a couple of different places. It was well worth it. But we need to make more use of it this coming year than we did last year. And I think we will be going back to Rocky Mountain National Park. It's fun to go through Estes Park. Uh, I'd love to spend more time there. Uh, I hear that there is a used bookstore up there. Love used bookstores. So Lauren and I will have to get away for an afternoon sometime. Just the two of us go up there, have a bite to eat, maybe do some shopping, particularly for books. But we were going to go to Bear Lake. We heard that Bear Lake is like the most popular hike in America. Uh, It definitely showed on a Saturday when the weather was nice in April. Not too warm, not too cool. Uh, The parking lot was absolutely jam-packed full. And my mistake, just a a pro tip here for all y'all, which we will start implementing uh, moving forward. When you have a 12-passenger van chock full of children of all ages and three adults who drank 20-ounce coffees an hour and 40 minutes prior to getting to the long queue in the parking lot at the most popular hike in America. Uh, when, when that's your circumstance, definitely stop in at the gas station in Estes Park as you're passing through Estes Park before you get up there into the mountains. Uh, I did not do that. I should have done that. That's on me. But we definitely all thought we were going to die because here we're waiting in the parking lot line for enough people to leave the parking lot that we can park, use the restrooms. Uh, And it just was not happening. And so we turned around, basically gave up on that one and found another uh, place to stop and use the restroom. And some or most of us being males, uh, we may have just gone into the woods and up the hill a ways uh, instead of waiting for the one single bathroom. There was one bathroom. There were two. One was closed, and the other one was available. Uh, Of course, ladies first, and the very young. Uh, But that was going to be way too long, so we we did not all wait. (laughs) Uh, But had a great little hike at Cub Lake, or on the way to Cub Lake. We didn't make it the whole way. Because for one, my wife just had a baby the end of January. So she's still recovering. I mean, we've been working out uh, on a weekly basis, trying to do three or four workouts per week, uh, sometimes more. She's sometimes getting in more workouts than that. Shorter workouts when there's more of them. But with us working out, I feel like the hike was easier for us. But you also get a couple of miles in and then your littlest ones decide that's it. They're done. And so I started recognizing, okay, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some grumpiness, some grouchiness, and the younger ones are looking like they're starting to get tired. Rather than us going any further, uh, I know that we're going to poop out on the way back. Uh, we're over two miles. I think we were two and a half miles 
in on the trail, another half mile, and we would have been to uh, Cub Lake. Uh, we basically got to the little uh, ponds and pools and marshes on the outskirts. But I said, okay, that's it. Let's turn around. Let's hike back. And sure enough, uh, all three of the youngest ones had to be carried. And Evelyn, being the fourth from the youngest, fifth from the oldest, almost the middle child, uh, she definitely uh, ran ahead several times just so she would get far enough ahead to where she could lay down on a rock and wait for us. Uh, so that was, was kind of funny. I don't know if that's quite as restful as just going at a slower pace but steady, but it seemed to work for her. Uh, we all made it back safe and sound, came down out of the mountains, got back to Greeley, and we were just we were spent. We were just absolutely all very, very tired. Uh, watched iRobot Saturday night. That was fun. Had some ice cream for supper. And then uh, yesterday, went to church in the morning and spent the afternoon doing some cleanup and then had an early Easter dinner with Chris here, which was cool, which was fun. Uh, Lamb chops, really delicious uh, sauce for the lamb chops. I think lamb chops might not be our favorite cut of lamb. Uh, Just saying. But delicious, delicious, delicious meal that Lauren made for us. And it was good. It was just a, it was just a good weekend, right? It's tiring, but between the two oldest going to a dance, Chris being with us for the weekend, going up to the mountains, having Easter dinner a week early because I work next week and on Easter Sunday, and Good Friday, and Chris won't be with us. Uh, it was just—it was a really good weekend. I didn't get any podcasting in, uh, but I did happen to finish Edmund Burke's excellent and very surprising and interesting a philosophical inquiry into the origin of our ideas of the sublime and beautiful. Very much enjoyed that. I would not mind reading that again. Uh, But it's basically the first Western treatment of the topic of aesthetics, uh, essentially. Uh, So it's him basically going through item by item on the different characteristics which beautiful things, things that we describe as beautiful, possess. Uh, You know, what, what are their characteristics? And how do we know that there must be some kind of a universal ideal when it comes to beauty. Uh, very, very interesting. Sometimes um, surprising in that, let's just say Edmund Burke is not a prude. Uh, Edmund Burke is not a prude about the topic of beauty and all that that might entail, whether you're talking about a, a beautiful object or a beautiful creature, or a beautiful woman. Uh, He is not crass, he's not crude, uh, but he is clear. (laughs) Uh, He he does handle the subject, I think, in a gentlemanly way, uh, but he does communicate what it is that he's talking about. And 
Uh, I'm okay with that, uh, quite honestly, quite frankly. It's definitely worth a read. I'm not sad that I read it. Uh, I think that those who are artistically minded would do well to read it and engage with it because it is interesting to have language for some of these things and to have the details drawn out into greater, uh, greater clarity. So read that one. I don't know that I'll be doing a review of the book, but I will just mention uh, that I enjoyed it. I'll share a quote with you uh, also, just to give you a little bit of a sampling. And this quote happens to be the whole reason why I read the book. I'll, I'll just level with you on the front end. Uh, think what you will of me, but I was reading Jesse Norman's biography of Edmund Burke, which I also don't plan on doing a book review of, only because I recently enough did a review of Russell Kirk's biography of Edmund Burke. And I think one in this short of span is plenty. Uh, suffice to say, it was good. It, it was a good biography. I didn't maybe like it quite as much as I liked Russell Kirk's uh, treatment. But it was interesting. It highlighted different aspects that maybe weren't focused on quite as much by Kirk. It referenced Russell Kirk's earlier biography of Burke. Uh, but there was this quote and this reference to a philosophical inquiry into the origin of our ideas of the sublime and beautiful, which caught my attention. And for my thinking on Burke to be uh, such and such, uh, to be looking up to him as being very serious and very grand and very epic. Uh, you know, it, it surprised me that he would write something like this. But I'll go ahead and just read for you this quote, and then we'll move along very quickly uh, to something else. But here's what he says in a segment on gradual variation. And this is section 15 of the work. This is a little bit of a longer quote. But I'll read the full quote of this whole section, section 15. Burke writes, But as perfectly beautiful bodies are not composed of angular parts, so their parts never continue long in the same right line. They vary their direction every moment, and they change under the eye by a deviation continually carrying on, but for whose beginning or end you will find it difficult to ascertain a point. The view of a beautiful bird will illustrate this observation. Here we see the head increasing insensibly to the middle, from whence it lessens gradually until it mixes with the neck. The neck loses itself in a larger swell, which continues to the middle of the body, when the whole decreases again to the tail. The tail takes a new direction, but it soon varies its course. It blends again with the other parts, and the line is perpetually changing, above, below, upon every side. In this description, I have before me the idea of a dove. It agrees very well with most of the conditions of beauty. It is smooth and downy. Its parts are, to use that expression, melted into one another. You are presented with no sudden protuberance through the whole, and yet the whole is continually changing. Observe that part of a beautiful woman, where she is perhaps the most beautiful about the neck and breasts. The smoothness, the softness, the easy and insensible swell, the variety of the surface, which is never for the smallest space the same, the deceitful maze through which the unsteady eye slides giddily, 
without knowing where to fix or whither it is carried, is not this a demonstration of that change of surface continual and yet hardly perceptible at any point which forms one of the great constituents of beauty? It gives me no small pleasure to find that I can strengthen my theory in this point by the opinion of the very ingenious Mr. Hogarth, whose idea of the line of beauty I take in general to be extremely just, but the idea of variation without attending so accurately to the manner of the variation has led him to consider angular figures as beautiful. These figures, it is true, vary greatly, yet they vary in a sudden and broken manner, and I do not find any natural object which is angular and at the same time beautiful. Indeed, few natural objects are entirely angular, but I think those which approach the most nearly to it are the ugliest. I must add, too, that so far as I could observe of nature, though the varied line is that alone in which complete beauty is found, yet there is no particular line which is always found in the most completely beautiful and which is therefore beautiful in preference to all other lines. At least I could never observe it. End quote. So, if you caught that, great. If you didn't, there's always the rewind. But... Let's just say I found that very surprising. Uh, I thought it was discreet. You know, and, and somebody could hear that and they could say, oh, well, I just think that's very scandalous. I don't think he needs to be talking about those kinds of things. That's not very sensible and that's not very appropriate. And, oh, yeah. Well, lots of pearl clutching that could happen right here. And can I just point out that if we read... Song of Songs, we find a great deal of content which makes this piece here seem tame by comparison. I'll just say that. I'll ask the question, is that not true? Is that not the case? And we'll leave it at that. But in other news, another book I recently finished, which I will do a review of, but not yet. I will do a review of, but not a book review. I'll do a series review for once I have completed the series. I just finished the end of last week, The Princess and the Goblin by George MacDonald. George MacDonald, to my knowledge, is the only figure who gets a biography written of him by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis really liked George MacDonald. Both C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien cite George MacDonald as a major influence on their type of writing and their style of writing. George MacDonald writes a marvelously charming story in The Princess and the Goblin. I'll leave it at that for right now, but it makes me want to read the rest of the series and then do a review of the entire series. The first book is not very long, but it is very, very sweet, and it is very light, and it's a little bit scary at points, but it's so gently written. It definitely reminds me of The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, and it also definitely reminds me of some of the scenes from The Shire in The Hobbit, and actually, in general, it reminds me of The Hobbit much simpler prose than, let's say, Lord of the Rings. Very gentle, very nonchalant. In all honesty, if you were ever trying to come up with a course or a class 
on how to tell bedtime stories to children, you would have to use The Princess and the Goblin, I think, in my opinion, as a perfect example of how to do it. Because it's just, it's so casual, it's so sweet, it's so nonchalant, but it throws in there just ever so often these simple little morals, right? These these little morals to the story of, and then the princess responded like this, because sometimes that's the way that you respond when such and such and such and such happens. And da-da-da-da-da. And, and it's so, it's just very graceful. It's a very gracefully told story. Very much enjoyed it. I would highly recommend it. I actually read this one on the recommendation of my wife and my daughter. My wife and my daughter both have been through this book a couple of times for school. It's been on the reading list for our homeschool curriculum for a few years now. Different of our kids have read it at different times because, of course, they're all going up through the grades and it's just playing. Uh, so even if it's not on their reading list, if it happens to be playing in audiobook form, then they all get to read it again, which doesn't sound half bad to me because it's a very charming story and not terribly long. But definitely check that one out and definitely stay tuned for when I finish the rest of the series because I intend to give it a fuller and more comprehensive treatment. Hopefully I can do it justice, but it's somewhat like uh, a joke, I think, somewhat like that, where when you have to explain a joke, you almost kill the humor of it. Uh, jokes are meant to be told and appreciated without having to unpack and dissect them. And I think that Princess and the Goblin has a similar quality, although not so much in the humor as in the charm. But more on that to come. Last but not least, I have been on a kick here lately talking about Twitter and my being locked out. I am still locked out of Twitter. Uh, I don't quite remember how long we're into it now. Two weeks plus at this point, maybe three weeks, going on three weeks. Uh, it's been a while. It's been several weeks in any event since I was locked out of Twitter for tweeting back to a failed candidate for uh, Congress, Democrat candidate for Congress in Tennessee. Uh, I'm still locked out of Twitter. Elon Musk, if you're listening, help a brother out. Uh, really could use a hand here. Uh, not just me, but a whole lot of others who dare to talk back to leftists, uh, crazy radical leftists. Uh, we are in Twitter jail. We are locked out of the public discourse. And I think I speak for all of us when I say we are very glad to see you doing what you're doing in buying up 9.2% for starters of Twitter. An interesting update on that, though. Very, very interesting. I was just reading about it this morning. Musk has announced that he turned down the offer of a seat on the board of directors in part because he would have had to sign an NDA for one thing, which would have kept him from being able to talk publicly about Twitter and ask ideas uh, from the public concerning Twitter the way that he has been, uh, the way that he wants to. 
and quite frankly, the way I think he should, I'm glad to see that he's not going to uh, basically allow himself to be muzzled by a seat on the board of directors. Uh, But also, too, another very, very interesting theory that people have for why he turned down the spot on the board is that he is intent on buying even more of a share of Twitter. He might just buy enough to where he would be able to hire and fire management and other personnel. Uh, I saw a headline over the weekend that he was saying, yeah, there are definitely people at Twitter who are updating their resumes, uh, dusting off their resumes, and they're planning on leaving. And that's what it is, right? Uh, Quite frankly, as far as I'm concerned, if they're going to leave Twitter because Musk is the new sheriff in town, uh, they're exactly the kind of people who should not be working at Twitter to begin with, who should not be controlling the levers of power when it comes to what you can and cannot say freely on the internet. Uh, free speech is not free if the only people who are free to talk are the ones who agree with your policy proposals. And if you are so stuck on believing that you represent the oppressed and yet you're the ones silencing all dissent, uh, trying to extract wealth, trying to redistribute wealth, trying to infringe on liberties, and then silencing anyone who objects or complains or presents a counterargument or another idea, uh, you're not the oppressed. You are the oppressors. Uh, you're oppressing yourself, first and foremost. If you feel like you're oppressed, it's because you're oppressing yourselves and uh, you're part of an oppressive, extractive system. Uh, but you are not the oppressed, uh, and we are not the oppressors. We are the oppressed being silenced and muzzled and disenfranchised, quite frankly. Uh, If we are going to have free and fair elections in this country, we have to be able to have free speech and we have to have public discourse. We just have to. Uh, The Founding Fathers knew that, and that's why there was so much robust debate. Uh, Tocqueville talks about this at length in Democracy in America. When he comes through in 1831, uh, within living memory of men and women who participated in the American Revolution, the War for Independence, as Burke would have preferred to call it because he was not a fan of revolutions. He saw the American uh, Independence Declaration, Declaration of Independence. Uh, He saw that as a conservative movement looking to establish the rights of Englishmen over and against tyrannical uh, overreaches, power grabs, by not just uh, King George, but also, more to the point, Parliament. The aristocrats overseas had decided that they would tax the colonies, but they wouldn't allow the colonies to have representation. So they were to be governed, but they weren't to be a part of their own government. And they weren't to have any right to talk back or to question or to hold accountable those who were making arbitrary decisions uh, concerning their life, uh, their liberty, their well-being, their livelihoods, their families, their posterity. So if government of the people, for the people, and by the people is not to perish from the earth, as uh, Abraham Lincoln did not want it to perish from the earth, other notables throughout our nation's history, up until the present, uh, did not want said government to perish from the earth, if it is not to perish, if it is to be preserved and maintained 
and grown and nurtured in a beautiful way, then there must be free and unfettered public discourse. We must be able to disagree with policies and hold our elected representatives accountable. We must be able to talk about what it is that they are doing on our behalf in our name. And frankly, I cheer Elon Musk for helping to make that happen because it is not just America which needs that to happen. The whole situation in Ukraine demonstrates profoundly in very stark terms that countries around the world need us in America to get our act together and to be who we are, to be who we were born to be, and to be good stewards of what has been entrusted to us. We are a servant which has been entrusted with a great amount of talents, and it is not for us to bury it in the field and then claim that thereby uh, we are proving ourselves the most spiritual in all history. No. Uh, We are playing into the hands of evil men. As Edmund Burke once famously said, don't believe everything you read on the internet. No, wait, what? Did he say that? No, actually, very often he is quoted as having said, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. That quote uh, is disputed heavily, in part because nobody can seem to find where he actually said it. One thing he did say, however, is, and I quote, it is an advantage to all narrow wisdom and narrow morals that their maxims have a plausible error and, on a cursory view, appear equal to first principles. They are light and portable. They are as current as copper coin and about as valuable. They serve equally the first capacities and the lowest, and they are, at least, as useful to the worst men as to the best. Of this stamp is the cant of not man but measures, a sort of charm by which many people get loose from every honorable engagement. Which is to say, in short, we cannot kill free speech in the name of stopping so-called hate speech. Claiming to suppress hate speech and misinformation and disinformation is an excuse by evil, power-hungry, malicious, malignant tumors posing as men when all they really want to do is they want to destroy people who have things that they don't have like ideas. They don't have ideas. They just have desires. They want what they don't have. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James half brother of Jesus says in James four one, just so that is exactly what motivates these people. They think that they've been liberated, but they've actually been enslaved to their passions. That's a very sad thing. It's a very tragic thing. But we don't help them by becoming slaves to their passions with them. We don't make them any freer by becoming slaves to their passions along with them. It's bad enough that they are slaves to their passions. We don't need to join them. So thank you, Mr. Musk, Elon Musk, thank you for what you're doing. You are breathing a breath of fresh air into online discourse that may just help turn the tide, not just in our political discourse, 
but also even our corporate discourse. It's a very scary thing when you have corporations in America looking at what Twitter does, what Facebook does, what Google does, what YouTube does with conservatives, and then saying, ah, okay, well, I guess we should do that as well. That's just what it is now. That's what we'll do to our workforces as well. No, no mas, no more. Stop it. We have to tell them, stop it. But that's all the time I have for this episode. Definitely check out The Princess and the Goblin. You won't be sorry that you did. Also, definitely check out Edmund Burke's philosophical inquiry into the origin of our ideas of the sublime and beautiful. It's not a very long read, but it is very interesting. Uh, It definitely is less salacious than uh, that one quote that I read for you might lead you to believe. Uh, But it does, I think, bear thought, uh, bear thinking about, especially as we are trying to embrace uh, an objective standard of truth, beauty, and goodness, which is also a very Burkean idea. As we are trying to embody those things, as we are trying to encourage those things, it helps for us to know what it is that we are encouraging and know what it is that we might be pursuing and celebrating and affirming in ourselves and in those around us. Uh, Why not read a philosophical inquiry into the same and learn how one goes about that? But as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.